Welcome to Siren Sundays. This show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, and practitioners of environmental sciences and all things conservation in the Bahamas. Because if you didn't know, the Bahamas is so much more than just beaches. tuning in to our conservation conversation let's flash in welcome to season eight of siren sundays today is episode one and we're so excited to have you i'm your host lashanti the siren and today's guest is none other than lakeisha anderson roll this episode is proudly sponsored by trifecta group bahamas they partner with local organizations to develop triple bottom line by maximizing programs and project benefits to communities and the environment. The principal, Kelly Ashley Armstrong, um, and team extend congratulations to Lashanti for season eight, as well as a congratulations to the Lakeisha Anderson role for becoming the first female executive director of the Bahamas National Trust. So shout out to Trifecta Group Bahamas. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, trifecta 242 and on facebook is trifecta group 242 so hope you guys can check them out they are a great organization and our proud sponsors for today's episode <laughs> so that was a mouthful we can dive right in welcome to the show lakeisha finally i finally got you on the finally show. yes um thank you for having me it's it's great to be here and congratulations on your eighth season that is a huge accomplishment so um, and for those who don't know, Lashanti and I have some history here. So I'm really happy to be on. I'm really happy to see um, the progress you've made with the show. So thank you for having me. Yeah, and again, congratulations to you uh, on becoming first female executive director. I always believed in you. I knew it would happen when <laughs> I thought it would happen when I was there, you know, but mm -hmm. I'm super excited um, to see you lead the Bahamas National Trust in, in a continued direction. Um, Eric had a great startup and you're going to just carry that baton straight through. Off to my will. Awesome. So I definitely, um, as I kind of alluded to um, with all the advertisements and in talking with people about this episode, I really wanted to get into the who is Lakeisha Anderson role? You know, what was your journey? Like, how did you get to where you are? And I always like to have people kind of start off by talking about, well, what was it at first that made you say that you even wanted to get into conservation? And I know that you actually did not originally go off to school to study anything related to conservation, correct? Wow. So I, I didn't realize I, I told that story to, to others. So yes. Um, so my, I really started off um, at Hampton University and I started off in the field of electrical engineering. I actually started off um, pursuing a degree in electrical engineering. And, you know, it really came down to me being a bit curious as to, you know, how things worked. And I would always be the one in, in, in my younger days um, deconstructing gadgets and things like that. And there was also a family influence element to it as well, you know, encouraging me, oh, you'll be a great engineer. Uh, but about a year and a half into it, you know, I, I realized that, you know, this was not the direction that I wanted to go in. And I needed to make a shift and I needed to make a shift very fast. And so thankfully, um, Hampton University, which sits on the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, 
had a marine science program. Um, and so I was able to transfer into the marine and environmental science program. And, you know, it, it, and it went from there. But just kind of going back, you know, even before that, um, my father, my childhood experience really helped to guide and lead me to where I am now. Uh, my father's from Andres, from Bering Point. Um, and so he grew up around the water. And he is a keen um, naturalist. And so during my early childhood years, you know, we would spend weekends fishing. Um, and there were several occasions where he took me um, at a very young age. And still to this day, I'm like, did I really do that? You know, we would, he would take me out spare fishing. And I was, you know, probably 11, 12 years old um, in East Ground, Bahama. And I can remember like it was yesterday, um, spare fishing with me in tow. And it was then that I grew to love and appreciate and respect the marine environment. And so making that shift uh, was really important. And it was an easy, it was an easy thought. And so, you know, I'm thankful to my family for you know, guiding me through the process, although, you know, there was still that influence about the engineering degree. Um, but, you know, I'm really happy for the decision that I've made. And, and I don't, um, I don't regret it one day at all. So we're glad you didn't regret it. Because <laughs> you've definitely had a very successful career thus far. And I know, previous to the Bahamas National Trust, you actually worked at the Department of Marine Resources, correct? Yes. And so um, I so once I once I finished um, with my degree, um, I immediately moved back home. Um, I, I wanted to be home. I wanted I always wanted to be able to make a difference, you know, where at home. And so it, it actually took me some time to get into the field. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, who's who's had the same um, story. Um, so I worked in timeshare for four years. Um, in Freeport until wow. I was able to find a job in the field. Um, but my job search extended to Nassau, um, where um, I was able to pack up and relocate to New Providence um, to work with the Department of Marine Resources as an offic assistant fisheries officer. Um, and I can tell you, you know, working um, as a civil servant, um, the networking opportunities, training, it really helped uh, with springboarding your career. And so I really enjoyed um, the time spent with the Department of Marine Resources working on um, not just um, projects within the department, but also regional projects um, that helped with tying into a lot of the um, regional organizations that we work with and also working a lot with our conservation partners here in the Bahamas. And so from there, um, you know, I was actually still working um, with BNT as a conservation partner in government. And I could recall, you know, sitting in meetings and Eric saying, you, whatever your name is, because, you know, he can never remember names. <laughs> he said, you, whatever your name is, you, you're going to work for me one day. And I would brush it off. But when the opportunity came, um, he contacted me and the then director of parks, who would have been Tamika um, Raming, contacted me saying that they were actually looking for someone to manage the Grand Bahama operations. And, and that sparked my interest because at that point I was already in Nassau for about um, six years. Um, mm -hmm. And so I joined the organization as a parks planner, um, working within communities. And Lashanti, you know very well how that is, um, considering you're joining um, the BNT as a conservation planner. Um, and from there, um, I became the director of parks for six years and, and to where I am now as the executive director. 
Yes, and I agree with Trifecta Group Bahamas. Tamika really is the plug. Um, she was a great mentor to me, um, joining the Bahamas National Trust during that time. So, yeah, it was a journey. Um, worked and networked with a lot of persons, um, many of those who are um, also leading their organizations. Um, so it has been a great opportunity and an honor to actually lead the Bahamas National Trust. And we are excited about that. And I know um, when you mentioned that you worked at DMR, I found out after the fact, and I think you and I had spoken about this before, that you were actually a part of the Lionfish Project. Yes. And I yeah. was one of those conservation partners back when I worked at Dolphin Encounters. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember setting up a booth there. And I mean, mm -hmm. unfortunately, our paths hadn't quite crossed yet. But mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about some of the impactful projects that you think that you had um, contributed to when you were at DMR, which I'm sure you've done so many. But what are some of the ones that are like the most impactful from your time at DMR? So I would I would. And, and you were actually spot on. So you're answering my questions for me. So. Um, so I joined um, the Department of Marine Resources in 2007, um, which was during the early stages of the lionfish invasion in the Bahamas. And so this prompted the government to take action. Um, and so working with the, the then College of the Bahamas, um, developing a national lionfish response plan. Um, and so the project called for not only a great deal of data collection and field work, but also extensive outreach and educational efforts with the fishing industry, the diving or the dive operators, uh, but, but most importantly, amongst the conservation partners. So it gave the Bahamas high recognition um, as the leading country in the wider Caribbean to controlling the lionfish populations and the spread. And so I could recall, I mean, it, there was so much outreach, you know, lionfish derby, derbies, mm -hmm. um, training on, you know, the concept of removing the spines and the fact that it was in poisonous, it was venomous. It got to the point where I would be in the food store and kids would walk up on me and say, hey, you're the lionfish lady. And I'm looking around like, wow, yes, that's, I guess that's who I am. And so I would say that was one of the most impactful projects working at the Department of Marine Resources. Um, but from there, um, we, the Bahamas joined into a regional project uh, with four other countries and so the Bahamas' focus would have been obviously lionfish um, control. And I served as the national project coordinator in the Bahamas. And so we've been doing quite a lot of, um, we, we did quite a lot of um, piloting work with testing the frequency of, yes, Grant Parrot, yes, this, this person is, is spot on. <laughs> and so testing the frequency of removals. So we had a better understanding of how often um, there needed to be active removals to be successful in terms of managing the populations. And so I think with those two, those would have been the most impactful. And I have to wrap up this very important one on the Marine Reserve Network. Um, a lot of um, the, the, the staff prior to my time, like Tamika Raming, like Eleanor Phillips, who would have taken the lead on um, conducting stakeholder um, engagement to establish the first set of Marine Reserves within the department. And so prior to me leaving um, the D DMR, uh, we would have been able to finally gazette um, the first four marine reserves under the Department of Marine Resources. So I would say those would have been the most impactful projects um, during my time at DMR. And for the purposes of some of the um, viewers, can you explain what gazetting is? Yes. So so gazetting is the, the legal instrument um, in terms of making 
um, legislation. And so when you say um, something is gazetted, that means it was made into law. And so that that was a huge accomplishment. I mean, there were things on the book from the early 1990s where, you know, areas were proposed on the DMR. And, you know, there was significant work, but it still needed, um, you know, that that piece to take it over the finish line. And we were really excited that we were able to get that done. I know you mentioned it, and I just want to kind of emphasize the point that one of those key things that was needed was that stakeholder engagement, Uh, because I think a lot of times, as we've discussed before within the sector, you know, the the public does not understand the power, you know, that they have with their voice. And so uh, stakeholder engagement is so important. And I just want to encourage people to stay involved and stay aware of what's going on as far as like our environment and the things that happen with our resources. So uh, I agree. And and continue to, to, um, to speak up and speak out. Um, we have learned so many lessons um, about, hey, what not to do, right? <laughs> and, and we've learned that we cannot sit behind a desk making decisions. We have to get into, um, into the public. We have to sit down and have the conversation. You know, what does, what does conservation mean? What areas on your island should be set aside for protection? And yes, we've gotten beaten up. I mean... It's, it hasn't always been easy, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's an obligation. We have, we have to come to some consensus on what, um, you know, where protected areas should, where they should be and how they should be managed. And so um, based on the lessons learned, we have been, as you know, traveling throughout the country, mm-hmm. um, having a better appreciation and, and value the opinions of the stakeholders and, and putting that into action um, for the expansion of the of the network. So that has been extremely important. And we will continue to do that, to have those hard conversations. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out um, when it came to that lionfish project that the Bahamas was kind of one of those leading mm-hmm. um, countries in the region. And, and I've been hearing a lot with a lot of the different conservation projects and actions that happen in the region, we really be, we really be at the top, you know, like the Bahamas is really, I don't even want to say a trendsetter because it shouldn't just be seen as a trend, but um, I must applaud the country, all the government workers and all the conservation workers who really help to push these initiatives because we always end to, we always end up being the ones that other countries kind of follow behind mm-hmm. uh, to try and catch up sometimes with what we've been doing. Um, but yeah, so let's just move into now, you know, you leave DMR and now you started the Bahamas National Trust as a parks planner. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a parks planner, the, the role really requires, um, again, a lot of stakeholder engagement um, for developing um, management plans for protected areas. Um, so you know, deciding on how sites should be managed, uh, whether they should be zoned, uh, what kind of rules and regulations should be put in place, uh, what threats needs to be managed and how they will be managed. Um, and then the other role, um, as I would have mentioned, would be um, because... You know, the, the parks plan is also um, responsible for um, helping to guide the process of designating new protected areas. And so that really involves collecting the data. So the science um, to ensure that, you know, we are we have the justification to set aside particular areas. And but also that again, and we're gonna, I'm going to use this all the time. And again, the stakeholder engagement piece. So so those are the two critical components um, required. Um, to advance protected areas. And so the parks planner role is to do that just that, but also to help with working with the park managers with the implementation of management plans. And I can tell you 
um, it, it really it really opened my eyes to you know the the uh, the beauty that we have here in this country. Um, a lot of people are real. I mean, they would prefer to you know hop on a plane, um, go overseas, um, you know, on vacation. But the beauty is right here at home. You know, domestic vacations is what I've been. I'm encouraging people to do. You know, go and visit a now. I mean, yes, it's it's costly, but it's worth every penny. Um, being able to really appreciate and value um, the Bahamas as a whole. Um, and so um, I would say that has been um, truly a great experience in that regard as a parks planner. Um, the, and then as the director of parks, um, that is where the real work, I mean, not saying, not saying that, you know, as a parks planner, it's, it's not, you know, um, you know, you're not filled with a lot of tasks. Um, but the parks plan is responsible for the, the largest department within the organization, parks. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, enforcement and surveillance, um, natural resource management, um, managing um, invasive species. And, you know, so so that was really, really um, incredible, especially with, um, again, forging relationships with government, uh, working more closely with conservation partners and on all of the islands where we have national parks, um, bringing, bridging the gaps between uh, management with um, other local um, conservation organizations. And so, it's, it's been an experience. We still have a lot to do, um, not only as an organization, but as a country with respect to working more closely um, together with respect to natural resource management. Um, and there's so many opportunities right now for training, cross collaboration with training. Um, and so we're really excited about a lot of the projects and initiatives um, that are currently in the pipeline. And I'm sure those project and initiatives will present more opportunities for others to join um, and help out and work with Bahamas National Trust. And I encourage anyone um, who may be out there looking, if you see that Parks Planner role being advertised, do it. It's such a, yes, it sits in an amazing part of conservation where, like you said, you get, you manage, collect data, but you also have this, this um, these stakeholder engagements. It's such a full role. And I'm not, maybe I'm just saying that because that was my role there. And I truly loved it, but I do think it gives you such a, uh, a wide experience um, as far as when it comes to being in a conservation organization and, and the inner workings of how to move things through the government and, and just mm -hmm. get things done, you know, effectively. And I do want to um, just quickly point out a comment from one of our beloved past guests and a conservation heroes, Jewel, who says, oh. well said, Lakeisha Anderson, <laughs> stakeholder engagement and relationship building is so important for this conservation work. And she experienced that firsthand right in your hometown of Grand Bahama. Yeah. Yes, uh, working yes. with the song project. So I think uh, as these initiatives and pipelines roll come through the pipeline, I'm excited to see what they are and definitely excited to share. And hopefully um, people will start getting more involved with some of the work that's happening. Yeah. And, and if I may just add on and, and thank you, Jewel, for um, sharing that comment. Um, and just even piggybacking off some of the work that Jewel has led at East Grand Bahama. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, Bahamas, they don't understand what we do. I mean, they hear the Bahamas National Trust. I mean, sometimes people actually or used to assume that we were actually like a, a bank of trust. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they they um, and, and they didn't quite understand that we are the National Park Service of the Bahamas. And 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 understanding that the BNT, we were created at a time where, you know, there weren't we didn't have a forestry unit. We didn't have the best commission or department of environmental planning and protection so we have been the voice of the environment for 64 years um and so there has been you know a misconception that you know we were just 
just the National Conservation Organization and not really and never knew the significance of our work in terms of being the managers of the country's national park system. And so I always try at every opportunity to reiterate that um, because we are we are now redoubling our focus on that. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that was that plug was just dropped in just now. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's it's definitely been a very interesting history um, of the relationship for the Bahamas National Trust and the people of the Bahamas. So yeah, it's definitely um, progressed in a great direction. And as you said, Jules Project was one of those ones that really kind of pushed that. Um, but in your time at the Bahamas National Trust, during your parks planner role and director of parks, because you're still a little new, not too new actually, in the executive director role. It's been about six months now. It's, um, it's going on six months. Yeah. <laughs> but what would you say is like one of the most impactful projects that you experienced during your time prior to becoming executive director? So um, again, in my role as, as parks planner and director of parks, um, I think one of the, the first projects had to do with, and this was like when I was, I mean, green, green and BNT. Um, we started working um, with the San Salvador Living Jewels um, on a CEPF project. I remember it so well uh, because at that point we were really trying to advance um, the five national parks that have been proposed for quite some time. And so the, the project really helped with, again, raising awareness on the importance of, of the these particular sites, why it should be protected. And we really, really, it really brought us together in terms of the San Salvador Living Jewels because we recognized that there was an opportunity for co-management um, in that space. Um, from there, the CEPF grant also um, moved into a larger project. It was my first, well, second Jeff funded project, the Global Environment Facility. Um, this was at the time when we had the National Implementation Support Program, or NISP. And so we worked very closely with the, the acronyms. Listen, I, that's why I had to, I had to sound it out. <laughs> and we had the Department of Marine Resources, the Nature Conservancy, the Bahamas National Trust. Um, we worked extremely close to advance the country's agenda. And I say the country's agenda because the government made the commitment at that time to meet some international commitments made. And so at that point it was the 20, it was the 10, 10%, meeting the 10% under the Convention of Biological Diversity, which we actually did in 2015. Awesome. Um, again, it called for stakeholder engagement. But I can tell you the project that really, really, I mean, brought us all together. And Lashanti, you were a part of that success. It would have been the Bahamas Protected Project or Oceans 5. Listen, we traveled so many. <laughs> Listen, I, we were living out of a suitcase. We were from a Lutheran to Cat Island to, to Inagua, Inagua, Abaco. We were, we were here, there, and everywhere. We <laughs> didn't make it to Rumkey. I think that was probably the only island. Yeah, probably. But we made a huge impact. I mean, we, we met with so many stakeholders. You know, there was it was an opportunity for us to really start to start to build a relationship with fishermen who saw us as like the most. So we had trust issues and we are still working on that, but it really helped us to sit down and to start to talk about what makes sense or what didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and while um, and that would have been for meeting the 20 by 20 percent goal. And while there's still more work to be done. 
I mean, it was a huge impact with how much we were able to accomplish. So I would say um, those would have been like high on the top of my list in terms of impactful projects um, during my time as a parks planner director of parks. Definitely. We are excited to to see some of the projects that come through in your new role. Before we even jump into that, I do want to ask, um, through your career thus far, do you think that there are any like common misconceptions um, that you've heard that Bahamians or maybe even just people around the world um, believe about what you do or your role in, in conservation? Um, this is this is a true story, although it's very funny. Um, <laughs> so I have a very close family member, and this is probably maybe only one that sticks out right now. I have a very close family member. I adore her greatly, um, who would introduce me to others um, as her cousin, the Kong Diver. And she was she was serious about it. And I and I kept asking, I said, excuse me, ma'am, I, I am not my profession is not a Kong Diver. But all she knew was that, you know, I was a certified diver. I was always on a boat somewhere on some island. She may have seen me with a photo with a Kong at any given point, but she didn't understand what was taking place on those expeditions. So she just assumed, you know, when we're out diving, we are like fishing. And so, you know, people don't understand. We, we are actually collecting the data that informs the management of these critically important habitats and species. And so the misconception is, I mean, people just assume um, you know, that, you know, we are just out there, you know, saving the planet, not understanding the actions taken to get us to that point. Um, and so I always try, and, and, and now my family, they actually, they get it, right? Because mm -hmm. it, took, it took some time as well. You know, we, 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 can, so we are natural resource managers um, and we, we conduct field work. And when we're in the field, uh, we are monitoring coral reefs. We are monitoring fish populations. Uh, we are monitoring the seabed, the, the seagrasses. So because we want to be able not just to protect, but inform how these areas should be managed. And so I, I always have liked to share that story because for the longest, I couldn't get her to understand it. So I was Lakeisha the Kong diver for quite some time. Yeah, and that reminds me how whenever someone used to ask Lindby what he did, he'd say, oh, I just count fish. And I'm like, you gotta stop telling people that. Because they're going to think that all you do is literally go out and count fish. So, yeah, and I love that you put that. Nat we're natural resource managers, and that, that encompasses almost everything that we do. Um, but now that you've ascended to the throne of executive director, one of the things that I, I'm super curious about, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. You probably are, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> When you maybe around the time when you first started, or maybe you know, like halfway through your career, did you did you see yourself becoming executive director one day at any point? Not close to the time, because I know close to the time I was like, man, Eric getting ready to go. Who would be like? It might be Lakeisha. Like he's just the best candidate for this. But you know, prior to Eric's announcement, right? Like, was there any point earlier on in your career where you said, you know what, I I want to do that. I want to be that one day. I'm gonna be open and honest with you, but no. I, this, this was not my goal. Um, I, I am the one who, I, I prefer to be behind the scenes, getting the job done, you know, blood, sweat and tears, you know, when, when nobody has to know. Mm -hmm. So that, that has always been um, how I operate. Um, and I, I've even told Eric on several occasions, you know, back in the day, I don't want your job. 
and and that I was I was just being frank because I I love the field work. I miss being out on a boat and in the field. Um, but it got to the point where um, when Eric would have um, announced his his retirement, um, I got a lot of of support from so many people. Like I was I was I was a bit overwhelmed because I. I guess I didn't realize people saw me the way they did. Um, and even the staff, they were like, so, I mean, I, this is a no brainer, right? You're gonna apply. If not you, then who, right? And, and so, so to answer your question, no, this was, I, I was just always interested in being behind the scenes, pushing and getting the work done and not being in the forefront of it all. Um, but I realized that, you know, I had such a great support system um, that, it was time for me to step up into the role because like you said, I mean, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure there could have been others, uh, but I realized that it, it was, it was time. I've been with the organization for 11 years prior to taking on the position. Um, I know the operations, I know the team and, you know, I, I know the vision, I know where we should be. And so, you know why not take the mantle and and lead the charge and and I can tell you it's, it it has been I I won't lie it has been extremely um, hard a lot of work but it has been a great experience and so you know as I continue um, to work through and work with our partners um, and especially now as we continue. Um, one of the processes that we're leading, and I'll touch on that in, in part of the closing thoughts. Um, you know, I, I really want the BNT to be um, an inclusive organization. I want us to be better partners working not just in New Providence and, and in Grand Bahama, but where even islands where we don't have national parks because there's still so much potential. And I can tell you that I am, I am, I am prepared and I'm ready um, to continue in this role and in this capacity and i'm very excited so i think everyone's excited and like you said it, it definitely was this attitude of and this is not to discredit anyone who may have applied for the position i'm sure there were a lot of viable candidates mm -hmm. but when it came to that natural fit and that that natural transition or progression just like if not you then who um so yeah we're all thrilled uh to have you in this role and excited to see you know, what comes. And so I will ask now, you know, like, what do you see, you know, because this is part two of the series that we had for season seven. Okay. So to Lynn, who, you know, she took the initial step forward and did the national parks past and present. So where we're at now and where we're going, you know, where do you see that? Uh, what is the vision that you see for national parks in the Bahamas? So um, great question. So again, we are redoubling our focus to national parks. Um, we've been doing a lot of work uh, with, you know, expansion of the protected area network. Um, we've been um, conducting research or collecting data, sorry, um, in areas outside of national parks. We are bringing the focus back to our core mandate, back to basics, national park management. So more management plans, not only in place, but on the implementation, more infrastructure to support visitation, and, and when we think about infrastructure, we also want and plan to um, work with communities and business and businesses to bring those businesses into national parks. And so developing commercial use programs, concessions, um, having more trained tour operators, 
Um, even even outsourcing our gift shops, uh, we want to have direct benefits to local communities and business opportunities for them. Uh, we want to have more boats in the water, more boots on the ground. We want to see our park wardens trained and properly uniformed. Um, let me repeat that because I think you like that just now. <laughs> Trained and properly uniformed, um, a robust enforcement program um, taking into consideration technology, using technology um, to help with supporting our work um, and, and working more closely with um, communities. Um, in our mandate, we're, we are able to um, assign volunteer park wardens. So we want to be able to offer more opportunities, um, more economic opportunities, I should say, um, for Bahamians, but we want to move, start moving away from having so many paper parks to more actively managed and functional protected areas. And again, of course, this comes with more sustainable financing mechanisms. So we will be implementing more user fees and even the parks where they don't usually, ex where they don't exist now, we're gonna be moving towards that. Persons need to understand that in order for us to maintain these unique and beautiful spaces, it comes with a cost and everyone should be providing that cost. If you're using a national parks, you should be paying um, for, the, for the usage. Mm -hmm. And so we have an exciting opportunity here. And again, it has to do with bridging that gap with having communities directly benefit from economic opportunities within and, and adjacent to protected areas. I think you made such a great point um, that reminds me of an interaction that I had with a fellow Bahamian um, who basically was just kind of like, oh, you know, the, the boardwalk little breakup, you know, bonefish, you know. I was like, oh, you know, are you a member? Of course they weren't, you know. And I was like, you know, the more people who are members, you know, we can do things like repairs. And even another fun fact, right, fun fact about being a member is you get access to these parks for free. Correct. Um, and even another little known fact that I found out in my time there, um, when you have a membership at BNT, there are other um, national park or national trusts across the world that you actually can access for free with your BNT membership. For so for less than what you're probably paying for Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, you know, you could be a member of the Bahamas National Trust. Help them, help your country, help us manage these natural resources. But also, you know, you open up access to discounts across the country as well as just access mm -hmm. to different places around the world. Uh, which leads me to my next question. You know, how can viewers get involved with um, your work, following the work of the BNT? You know, volunteering, internships, mentorships. Like, where where is the best place for someone to go to access this information? So I would naturally direct them to our website. Um, so please visit our website, www.bnt.bs. Um, sign up for membership. You know, once you sign up for membership, you're in our email list. So you receive updates as they come in. You receive trust notes. Um, you receive um, information on our annual fundraisers. And since we're talking about fundraisers, may I please just share that this Saturday, June 10th, is the annual Cuban Pig Rose fundraiser. It's going to be held between 6.30 and 10.30 p.m. at the Palm, uh, which is formerly the Philosophy Smokehouse in, in Western New Providence. Um, tickets sold and, and even raffle prizes and, and funds raised from the event will go towards the construction of the Welcome Center at Mariah Harbor Key National Park. 
We are now establishing an operations base. Since the park was created in 2002, this fundraiser will help us greatly with establishing our new building. And so please, and even if you're not able to attend the event, you can still donate towards the Welcome Center. So all of that information is on our website, www.bnt.bs. And also become a volunteer. And how can you do that? Grab some of your friends, some of your coworkers, send us an email. Uh, we'll be able to accommodate you at some of our priority work in, within national parks. Right now, if you're in Providence, uh, we have opportunities at Bonefish Pond um, with removing invasive plants, planting mangroves and other coastal plants. Um, we have some great work going on here in, in Grand Bahama, also at Lukaya National Park, but also Ron Nature Center. And so please take out, you know, even if it's just a few hours um, on the weekend, please volunteer. We're a nonprofit, non-government org membership organization. And so again, please become a member. It's, it's inexpensive and it's really critical to our work. Not only does it give us a greater voice, but it also helps with bringing in funds to support our operational needs. Um, internships, we do have annual interns. Internships, we have one at the Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve, which actually is starting this week. Uh, we also have our science um, team, our department, that provides internships every summer. And so please visit the website, and you can also email us at bnt, at, sorry, bnt at bnt.com or parks at bnt.bs. That was a lot of promotion. I'm excited. <laughs> um, I'm definitely, so I'm going to be the pig roast. And awesome. maybe if I'm feeling so kind, maybe I'll take someone with me. I should do like a raffle. <laughs> You should, you should, you should take someone with you as well. Yeah. I should. Can't go to those kind of things alone. Um, so thank Bring you. Bring your dancing shoes, though. It's going to be a great night. I, I, I believe you. I think the Cuban Pig Roast. Um, I've only been fortunate enough to have been to one, but it was actually a really great night, in, and I'm looking forward to this one. I think this is the first one in how many years, right? Because it, COVID kind of stopped it. COVID, COVID kind of stopped it. We actually held one last year. Um, last year at the Mailers Farm, where, where we would typically host the event. And last year's fundraising goal was to support um, the predator control or invasive species um, program on Anagua, where we had um, a huge issue with wild hogs. Um, yeah, with wild hogs basically destroying um, the flamingo rookery. So we were able to fundraise for $100,000 for the program. Um, our science team has been doing great work with the parks team in Anagua with setting up um, trail cameras um, using drone technology. Uh, we're going to be setting up traps. Uh, we want to be able to protect the flamingo populations. And so last year, uh, we did have that. Last year would have been the first event since COVID. Um, and then this year, again, we'll be focusing on, on um, infrastructure for Mariah Harbor Key National Park. That's exciting. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing how much you guys raise. Uh, and we do have a question um, in the comments, which actually is a really good question. And I think this is another thing where common knowledge to us is just not so, you know, we forget sometimes other people aren't aware. And so D'Angelo asks, what is a paper park? <laughs> ah, okay. So a paper park is, um, it's a national park. Well, we have paper parks, we have paper protected areas. So essentially they only have the, des the legal designation. 
So yes, they have the legal um, authority. We have the legal authority um, for them to be a national park, but there's no active management. And so there's no staff, there's no infrastructure, there's no type of support. Um, and so when I say paper park, it means moving away from paper parks um, to manage parks means we have staff in place, we have infrastructure to support the management. Uh, we have active management taking place. So that's the paper park. And that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. and thank you for explaining that so well. Um, and we do have a comment and question from Jewel. One of my favorite parks, the Lukaya National Park, has this amazing boardwalk that gives donors and supporters the ability to etch their names on the boardwalk. Is this something that might be pushed more in the other parks around the country? It's an easy way to get the public actively engaging in the maintenance of small aspects of their parks. That's a wonderful suggestion. It is. And, and if I may just share, so um, the BNT, um, we established a fundraiser um, to rebuild the boardwalk bridge at Lukaya National Park. Um, and I think the cost would have been somewhere in the $300,000 range. And so a part of that was if you if you donated a certain amount, um, your donation would also go towards um, putting your name on a, on a plank on the boardwalk to, sh to show your support. And so, yes, that opportunity um, can exist. Um, I think, and you could even still take out... Um, a plank at Lukaya National Park, $500 gets um, your name etched on the beautiful boardwalk um, that extends across Gold Rock Creek. Um, and so, yes, those opportunities exist. They are great ways to fundraise and acknowledge the donors who support the work. So, yes, that is also an opportunity. I love that. $500, you can have your name etched into the beautiful boardwalk. Um, that's, that's actually not too bad either if you really think about the impact that you're making. Um, one plank will save a whole ankle, I promise you. <laughs> so we have another question coming in from Shannon. Uh, Shannon asks, how are the park spaces designated? Example, can people pop up and have a picnic or are they just used for self-guided park walks? Um, so you so you can you you can actually book guided tours. That would have to be booked um, in advance. Uh, we do not yet have the mechanism for persons to um, walk in to have guided tours. Um, but otherwise, they are self-guided. Uh, we do have quite a bit of um, interpretive signs. And in some parts, we also have um, pamphlets that can help um, you and your family um, as you take on a guided or self-guided tour. Um, now, in terms of picnics, if you want to set up something very special, depending on where you are, you just call in advance. If you're in the Exuma Keys Land and Sea Park and you want to have a beach picnic with tents and chairs, um, then there's a cost associated with that. Um, and so it really all depends on where you are. Um, but you can have picnics, you can do self-guided tours, um, but you can also um, book in advance to have a tour guided by one of the BNT staff members as well. Yeah, I, I definitely, it sounds like everything is in the realm of possibilities. You have to just contact <laughs> Don't just go out there and do it, guys. You know, there are certain parks that are very sensitive and you can't just go and pitch a tent anywhere. Um, so definitely reach out to whichever national park um, headquarters is nearest to the area and someone will be happy to assist you with figuring out what's the best way to go about doing something that you want to have done. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, and then again, I would say go to the website so you can determine where you want to visit um, and send us an email. Yeah. Um, oh, that's the email I put up. 
Uh, what are we talking about on the website? Um, we do have two more questions. Wow, people are really starting to trickle in. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Ricardo Roll watching from YouTube. Ricardo asks, what are the early detection programs in place to address new or emerging invasive species? That's actually a really good question. This is a very good question. Um, and so we, so our science team um, is responsible for monitoring. So for monitoring for a species, um, whether it's for terrestrial, marine, um, and also habitats. Um, so, so aside from that, the presence is really with the park staff. And so, um, they, so they are responsible for doing um, daily walkthroughs. Um, we have issues with quite a number of invasive species. Uh, we have issues with some of the, the, the feral cats. We have issues with raccoons. We have issues, yeah, we have issues, um, and even with, with some of the invasive plants. Um, but again, it also has to do with training. Um, so you have to be able to identify what's not native to understand and determine if it's invasive. Um, and so um, we still have some work to do in that regard. Um, but And we also have issues with green iguanas. Let's not forget that. Um, and, so, and so we do have what's called a national invasive species strategy. Um, that does require some updating, uh, but that also has um, a training component or a train a, an identification manual. Um, so a part of our orientation, we, we usually train our, our field staff um, with identifying um, the top invasives for the Bahamas. That's awesome. I think I sometimes forget, and, and you just gave me such an amazing reminder that there are a lot of brilliant Bahamians that are here, you know, in the Bahamas that are so knowledgeable about plants, reptiles, yeah. creatures. It's just, it's really easy, I promise you, to get information from them on what is what when it comes to identifying species. They're very passionate about what they do and they are more than happy to jump in the bush with you. Um, oh yeah, just, take a photo and share it and they can answer it. <laughs> they happily will answer it with scientific names, I promise you. So definitely, and I'll, I'll put a little plug for the beings group that has yes. uh, the Bahamians, um, oh crap. These acronyms just get me every time. Let's keep it at beings right B now. B-E-I-N-G-S. There you go. Um, and I do also want to point out a comment from Trifecta Group Bahamas, who is also our proud sponsor of this episode. They would like to make a donation towards the boardwalk restoration at Lucayan National Park, and they will definitely reach out. And for those of you who might be joining a little late, like I said, Trifecta Group Bahamas has sponsored this episode, and they are uh, a group that partners with local organizations to develop their triple bottom line by maximizing program and project benefits to communities and the environment. So definitely check out Trifecta Group Bahamas on all your social media handles, LinkedIn, Twitter, IG is Trifecta242, and Facebook is Trifecta Group 242. I would yeah, also you. like to shout out Trifecta Group Bahamas for sponsoring um, this episode, but also for um, donations across the board. Awesome job. Across the board, walk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. They said they'll reach out to us. If you don't, we will reach out to you. <laughs> Awesome. And, and Gloria gives another tip. There's also a website specifically for reporting green iguana sightings that's not managed by BNT. So yes, we, we do collaborate with other organizations. So please, um, Gloria, if you have that website, please feel free to pop it in the comments for other viewers to see because green iguanas is a really, really big problem. And, and if you can, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot again, because I think a lot of people are always like, oh, but the green iguanas, they're so pretty. Don't we have iguanas here already? And I have to literally sit them down and say, let me tell you the tea on why. 
you know, so if you can, um, and we'll start wrapping up now. I see we're at the 47 minute mark. Why are green iguanas so awful for our environment? They outcompete our native, our native, um, not not only iguanas, but also um, some of our other reptiles. So I would say to you, yes, they are pretty. Well, to some they are pretty, um, <laughs> but but they are a nuisance. Um, they they can they also target um, eggs, bird eggs. So we we want to make sure that. Um, and this is so not only just green iguanas, but all invasive plants and animals. They outcompete with our native populations to the point where they can completely take over and can cause extinctions. So can you imagine losing some of the species that are known for the Bahamas endemic? So we want to make sure and they populate extreme. Listen, I think the biggest issue right now is is in um, somewhere in Berry Islands. Can you imagine only seeing iguanas and you're not seeing your, your curly tailed lizards or any other species? Um, so we want to take we want to get a handle on on that. We want to get a handle on the all of the top invasive species in the country. Um, this requires a group effort, a countrywide effort. Um, and obviously it requires us educating the public on why they need to take action, why they need to report it, why they need to help with, with um, collecting them when they see them. And so we wanna make this a considered effort. We will have to um, encourage our, the, our government counterparts to take the lead, but the conservation arena stands by to assist. So um, hopefully there's gonna be some more work in that regard. I do know that there's gonna be work under um, the Jack 2020 project, uh, but that focuses more on um, invasive plants, especially the casaritas, especially um, the Brazilian pepper. Um, and so there's a lot of work to be done in that regard and a lot of raising awareness, um, also a part of that project component. So look out for that as well. Well, I'm excited for that because as many of my viewers and other friends know, I have a personal vendetta against the casarina trees. Ruined my ankle, ruined it. And they all deserve to be burnt uh, and turned into coal for, for sustainable use. They are good for burning. That is correct. Definitely. So as we wrap up, I only have two more questions for you um, that I would love to hear your answers on. And the first being, um, and I think this is probably going to be a very powerful answer. So hopefully um, it resonates well. Who is someone in the sector, um, whether they're local or international, that inspires you and why? Okay, so... I'm going to mention two persons, two individuals. Um, the first would have been my first boss in, in the field, Mr. Michael Brennan, who was a no-nonsense, straightforward, upfront gentleman. Um, he gave me, I mean, on my first day, he gave me like some of the best advice um, that I, I stand by to this day. Um, and and it, it has a lot to do not only with your character, but how you conduct yourself as you continue to work um, through the various islands. He said, you know, Lakeisha, never take hands, never take a hand out because you, at some point, um, you are going to find yourself in a position where, you know, where you don't want to be, basically. Um, and and that has, it's, and I've been in situations where people attempted to do that. And, and, I, and I always kept remembering, and it still resonates with me that no, I, I need to be careful because at the end of the day, I could find myself in a position that can be detrimental to my career. Yeah. Um, the other person um, that I admire 
greatly would be Mrs. Eleanor Phillips. And I mean, I don't even need to explain it, but she is like the person who stands out in a room when she speaks, she's powerful. She is like a master fundraiser. She is a connector of people. She's a great networker. And, and she actually worked with the Department of Marine Resources before I joined. And um, I had the opportunity to review her work. And from then I was like, who is this, who is this woman? Is she still around? Um, and so, you know, her, her work ethic was, was always extremely um, impressive to me. Um, and so I do call her my Shiro. She's a great mentor. And she is one, she's, she's action oriented. She gets the job done. And so I would say that she is certainly one that truly inspires me. Definitely. And, and they're both very, very well-known powerhouses in the sector. And both of them, unfortunately, I just missed with being <laughs> able to work with. But um, their work obviously continues to shine through in their legacy with you being one of those individuals that they have inspired. And, and, and you inspire others. I mean, you inspire me. I tell you that all the time. Like, I, my yeah. favorite director ever. Sorry to my other directors. You guys are great. But Lakeisha was the, the director Ooh. of my lifetime. <laughs> Thank you. So just the last question, um, which should be an easy one. Um, if you could give us just final thoughts for our viewers, whether that be, you know, a life lesson you learned from the field or just throughout your career, um, just some final thoughts to leave with viewers who may particularly be interested in, in just kind of doing the same thing that you do. Um, I actually want a final thought to be about what we're doing right now as an organization with the Bahamas National Trust. And the reason I, 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 I choose to do this is because, again, I want to be all inclusive. Right now, the, the Bahamas National Trust, we are in our strategic planning phase. Um, we do anticipate it will take the rest of 2023 to accomplish. And it's because we want to hear from you. We want to hear from not only the stakeholders that we work with, uh, we want to hear from our partners in government. We want to hear from the stakeholders on the islands where we work and, and where we plan to work. We want to find out how the BNT can be more impactful. We want to collect this information on where should the BNT be in the next five years, because we want to gather that input to really help to shape our strategic plan and where we go in the next five years. And so I am reaching out to the masses. And yes, we will um, you know, do a more formal um, request for information, but I wanted to at least leave that as my final thought and as a touch point, um, because we want we want to hear from you. We want to know how, and we know we and we know we've been um, quite successful um, with a number of initiatives that we've led um, and with park management. But we want to find out how the Bahamas National Trust to you can be more impactful in our work. And so if you're on this call and you have a thought right now, please send an email to parks at bnt.bs um, so we can hear from you. Um, whether you're a fisherman, whether you are a, um, a protected area practitioner, a conservationist, we want to hear from everyone. We will be conducting listening tours. We're going to be visiting several islands. We've been to Abaco. Um, hey, we've been to Grand Bahama. <laughs> we, we've been to Exuma. We're going to be headed to Andres. We've been to Anago. We want to visit and we want to hear from you. This is your opportunity to help um, with shaping the direction we go in. And so we thank you for all that you've already done in terms of 
um, sharing input and, and advice. Um, this is our time now to map out our five-year journey, and we want to do that with all of you. So please share your thoughts um, to us. Uh, we appreciate it. We're thanking you in advance. And again, it's going to be a more formal process, but I at least wanted to hear from those listening to my voice today, um, if you can start sharing that information with us. Beautiful. Uh, I, I love that as a final thought. And I won't even add any more to that, except just thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much for taking the time out on your holiday weekend, right? Yes, so it's a holiday, to... right? <laughs> right. Uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I'm happy that you were able to do this. Everything comes exactly when it's supposed to. So this was the perfect time for you to do this yeah. show. And, and I, I couldn't be more grateful to have had you. And I think this has been a wonderful episode. I look forward to watching you progress, you know, in your role and just all the great work to come. And thank, thank you to all the viewers. Thank you, Lashanti. It was a pleasure. We have to do this again sometime. Um, viewers, thank you so much for the questions, the comments. Um, looking forward to hearing more from you as we continue this journey together. Definitely. And I will see you all next week where we have another guest coming on Siren Sundays. Thanks for riding the wave with us. See you all then. Take care. Bye.